Hey, welcome to the Northeast Hunt and Film Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Alex. Here you'll find hunting stories and strategies based mainly out of the Northeast, but we'll also include hunts from all around the country. If you can hunt it and you can film it, chances are we're going to talk about it on here. Enjoy. All right, we're live. Another episode of the Northeast Hunt and Film Podcast. Sitting here on uh, Labor Day on uh, Timmy Bolduck's deck. What's going on, Timmy? Not too much. Just drove home from Vermont. I was up in uh, my wife and her family have a camp up in... Um, Burke, isn't it? Yeah, it's up by Burke Mountain, yeah. Um, so I went up there for the weekend and got up early this morning and came home to meet with you. So yep. yeah, here we are. You it's had a nice day. Three-hour drive? Yeah, it's a little less, I think. Uh, probably, I don't know, I think... I don't know, probably two hours, 30 minutes, two hours, 40 minutes, something like that. Yeah. But I had no traffic this morning, so I scooted right home. Yeah. So, we yeah. Were, we saw, like, a dozen cops on the way over here. They were pulling people over by plane on 101. Yeah. I passed uh, probably, I'll bet you, at least six or seven on the ride home. They were setting up speed traps and yeah. a lot of DUI speed, signs. Speed check by aircraft. Yeah. And they had, like, lines of state police pulling yeah. people over. Yeah. Yeah, luckily I, thought I was gonna get jacked, but we slowed down and avoided it. Yep. No, I uh, I wasn't speeding, so I made it through all right. And yeah, so we made it, and it's a beautiful day, and I'm excited to talk some hunting. Yeah, got the day off. Yep. You don't get many of those. I don't. No, I don't take too Timmy's much. Timmy's got t- seven jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't take a ton of time off. Uh, pretty soon I'm gonna though. Yep. Yep. So that's just around the corner. Yep. You guys are working hard, cranking out the muzzle loaders. Yeah. Yeah, we've been busy. It's always busy. This year was a funny year. It actually, uh, you know, in the past, there were times of the year, especially in the spring and stuff, you know, you'd hit little spots where you had a little break. And this year, that never happened, you know. It just, it's kind of been steady and sales have been just pretty steady the whole year. We never really had a lull, you know. I kind of, there was a little part of me that wished we would just so we could kind of get caught up, but... On the other hand, I guess it's good that we don't, but... Right. Yeah. So it's been busy. That's yep. good. Yep. Yeah, everyone everyone I talk to has heard of, has one, or wants one. It's funny, some of my friends up in Vermont, they're uh, Dave Jacobs, and he's got two boys, Critter and uh, Brody, and Dave was just telling me this weekend, he says, you know, and he doesn't have one yet, because he knows that I'm involved, and... Um, but he's like, we're going to have one of those one of these days. And he said, you know, I got to tell you, he's like, every single time I, a muzzleloader or conversation is brought up, he's like, it doesn't get mentioned without Woodman Arms anymore. He's like, every yeah. time any of my buddies mention muzzleloaders, he's like, you guys are the name. So keep yep. doing what you're doing. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah we think incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, you know, the, the product is good and that's good. This whole thing has been a new thing for me cause I'm, I'm a horseshoer, you know, and I just, go shoe horses and do a good job and all that stuff but stepping into something like this i've kind of realized that you know you can pump it up to be something but when at the end of the day it has to fit the bill it has to be that for it to survive you know you might get the right name to say hey check this out this is a great product and again if it doesn't meet that you know standard that you that person maybe put out 
it's going to fizzle off. You know what I mean? There yep. comes a point where you just, it has to be what you say it is and it has to be worth the money and all, you know, all those things. And that's one thing with this gun. Like I, I always had faith in it cause I knew it before it ever got on the map and I knew what it was. And I knew that like, it would always be that it was never a lie. You know what I mean? It was always just, it was as good as we said it was. And that matters. And like I said, for longevity, you have to have that. And luckily it is that. So yeah. It's been good. Yeah, and there's and there's no warranty. There's a guarantee. Yeah, yeah, it's lifetime. Yeah, if lifetime you buy, guarantee, yep. not a warranty. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of it too is I'm in charge of like all the phone calls and the emails and all that stuff. And of course, I I build, I make the wood and stuff like that. So I have my fingers in in a few different areas of the business, but I go way out of my way to make sure the customer service is top notch because i know you don't get that from a lot of the bigger companies and it's just how i roll anyways but like for instance this weekend i was going up to camp got a call uh from a guy that bought one up at the gun shop which is up there in uh east haven vermont i was driving right by and the guy bought one and he went to the range with it and he shot it and uh, i think he said on the sixth shot his uh his stock broke up on the top on the pistol grip up on the top you know so he called me up and told me he says hey i just i shot it five times it was fine on the sixth shot he said a hunk of wood blew right off of it you know and that's the hard part on our end that was nothing to do with anything that we did it was just it's grain of wood it was a piece of walnut yeah i don't think laminate would have ever done that it's too too strong you know but you know it's just again it was a grain in the wood and um so i was like you know what i said i don't know what your schedule is if you can get that gun over to the gun shop i'm coming up there this weekend uh actually tonight i'm leaving i ran over to the shop grabbed a stock for him and a forehand um ended up talking with him he says yeah i'm actually coming through t uh on saturday at 3:30." so i just we were up hanging out at camp and stuff and i buzzed down uh met him at the shop at 3:30, switched the wood over for him and off he was going he was pumped you know he was excited but i just try to do that i don't try to make people wait or anything if you call or any of that stuff and you know in this day and age i think that's an important thing you know and, and people appreciate that and this this gun you know i hear people say it sometimes they're like oh it's expensive you know but you know i can agree to that to some degree i guess but you know i could show you pro hunters that are three hundred dollars more than this gun you know and this gun yeah. is you know so to me it's really not that expensive for what it is and also to have somebody that will pick their phone up uh or get back to you in an email or just you know go out of their way to make it right and to me i mean this gun could be five hundred dollars more than it is and to me that's worth it you know so we try to do that and you can see it like on social media and stuff it's very 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 seldom like you just don't see anything you know, that's said badly about it, you know, and I, right. I go out of my way to make sure that's the case again. And I just try to give the service where, you know, cause there is mess ups just like that, that stock break. And that's nobody's fault. That's just grain and wood that just happened to do what it did. But, you know, I think long as we go out of our way and just make sure we fix things like that, when those things do pop up yep. and uh, that's what we do. And so far it's working. And again, I just, I think when you get into bigger business, I think there's been a lot of years that that, philosophy of doing business has been gone and i've always ran my business that way my own personal horseshoe in business you know i again i call people back and i answer the phone and communicate and um i think just people appreciate that so it's nice to separate from the bigger companies and give that kind of service and i'm gonna just do that as long as we can hopefully we don't get so big one day that i won't be able to do that but yeah i will i'll keep at it yeah i 
spent a lot of time with Timmy in the truck, especially in 2019. We were driving around filming hunts and stuff, and, yeah, he's always on the phone um, fixing things, making things right. It's just just him. Anybody, you can ask Andrea, his wife, he's yeah. always on the phone yeah. doing something. Yeah. But that's... It's part of it, though, you know? Yep. It's, you're, you're, it's more than just the product. You're buying, yeah. you know, somebody that's got your back and going to keep, you know, keep things right for you. And, yep. again, that's important to me. And I think that's something this country's got away, got away from doing business. And I don't know if it was the best idea, but I guess I was just probably raised that way and have those values. And I just I take pride in it. And I do everything I can, like I said, to make sure things are right. And Yeah, yeah so anybody out here is listening still waiting on one there they're coming you're not getting you're not getting held back it's there they do them in order that they get the calls and that's it is what it is it's it's worth the wait so yeah anybody thinking about one and you want it for this season don't order it now just wait wait till after season and um you'll have it for next year or just go on the website and my number's on there and just give me a call. I've had a couple calls just this past week. It's kind of funny how it worked out, but guys that wanted it for the season and um, I did give them a couple options, you know, through dealers and I had a couple used ones and stuff. So it's worth the phone call. Both those guys needed them and they called up thinking there's no way I'm going to have it for this season and I did find ways. So don't be afraid to call. If I don't answer, just leave me a message. I'll get right back to you as soon as I get the message and, uh, yeah so anyways. yeah there's a few gun shops that have them yeah more, more sporting goods yeah there's probably i think altogether probably we're getting closer to 10 i'm gonna say seven or eight something like that oh nice yeah there's a, there's a pretty good handful of them but it's hard you know the hard part is is we have our own personal customers that have orders in and stuff and you know when you start taking on stores and stuff and they're ordering right. 30 40 at a at a time you know and it's tough because i've got people that are waiting for them so it's just we can only do so much production you know, and, and just to address that, like anybody is listening, you know, just understand uh, it's this is probably the hardest time, you know, one of the hardest times in this country's history to do business, you know, coming out, of, you know, we're still actually in the whole COVID thing and whether it's materials or uh you know workforce we deal shipping with shipping delays you know shipping de- it's just the the list goes on and on and sometimes people will call me up and they're at you know whatever week they're at waiting and it's it's almost like they think that like that doesn't apply to us and just for the record it does it applies to pretty much anybody doing almost any business nowadays it's just the way it is and it stinks and here's the other bad part too is you know running a muzzleloader business slash a a machine shop it's so many moving parts you know and I, I look at it as it's just like a thousand spokes on a wheel and all it takes is one spoke to fly off that wheel and that's one machine just shutting down or whatever it is you know that stuff happens and that stuff does happen to us and it stinks when it does but again it's so many moving parts that that's all it takes for us is and it happened to us two weeks ago the craziest thing like we were right on schedule making trigger guards because that's what we needed and mark had it all worked out before he went to his alaska trip and um he had that machine running X amount a day, and I, he needs a minimum to send out for finish. You can't just send three of them. you got to send, I think it's a minimum of 88. And he had that machine all worked out running where the timing was going to be perfect, where they were going to go out, be back in time. And it was an accident, a car accident, like a couple roads over from us. They hit a telephone pole in that accident, sent low voltage into the shop, and like killed that machine for 
I don't know, it was a handful of days, blew out a breaker in the machine. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, what are the odds of that? But just that one accident right there, there's a group of guys that were at close to the 12-week mark that are going to end up having to go. But, you know, that was no right. fault of anybody. That was just... Just Vic, the guy who hit the pole. Yeah, just, you know, it, it, it's just one of those crazy things. But, again, there's so many of those moving parts and things that can happen in that world that just I hope you understand. But the good news is this is, like, what we do do, I always tell people this, too, is just know if the parts are there, you have an order in and you're up next and the parts are there in the shop, it's going. Like, we don't sit on them because we're just, oh, I don't feel like doing it tonight. Like, if it's there, we're doing it. Like, if you don't have it and it's... 12 weeks and five days it's because we're waiting on something it's not any other reason that because like i said when that if those parts are there and it can go it's it's out the door you know so anyways people that have ordered and stuff i know it's a frustrating thing probably sometimes to have to wait but i guess i say this to so many people when they call that it's nice to kind of maybe publicly say it a little bit so people just have a little bit of a different you know peek inside of what we do deal with you know and again it's no different than everybody else i was in bass pro just i don't know it was three four weeks ago i went up there to get some fish and stuff and i i walked in there and just the inventory that those i don't you were there today i mean it's unbelievable you know i left there like this is bad like when you have a chain store that size right there and they don't have inventory you know, like it's pretty crazy to me that yep. we're getting in that position. And I talked to Mark after and told him, you know, just how I felt about that. I was like, you know, I got to tell you, like to see that at a store of that size, that's a little bit scary for maybe a company our size. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, I think this is going to get worse before it gets better. And he's like, oh, yeah, yep. it's going to, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just part of doing business in these crazy times. So, again, just I hope everybody understands that and. Just know I carry the weight. It's not like I don't care because I do. I'm thinking about it, and I want to get it to you in time and stuff, and I do. I carry that burden. Mark does too, and we both do because we care. But, again, it's just kind of life happening around us. So hope you understand. <laughs> yeah, it's worth the weight. Yeah, yeah, it is. We will get it to you eventually. It'll, yep. it'll show up. You'll, you'll get it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, let's talk some. Uh, we're uh, pretty close to deer season. Yeah. What are we just, uh, just over a week, week from what, nine days, eight days? Yeah, what's today? The, Today's uh, Monday. Six. It's a week from Wednesday. Yeah, so our season opens on the 15th, so that's bow season. Um, so, yeah, the 15th. And, um, yeah, I've been in the game. I, I, I'm I'm funny. I think I think about it all season long. You know, you can ask me in May 22nd what's the first thing you think of in the morning, and it's deer hunting. You yep. know, I just do. It's just me. I've always been that way. But I've, I've had cameras out for... Oh, I bet you I'm up to a month or so right now. So, been running some cameras. Um, got one decent buck that I probably would, I guess. Um, got some other smaller ones and stuff. But I have some cameras out um, in some places last year that I had scouted out for my wife. Because I ended up tagging out kind of early last year. So, I was scouting around for my wife. And I found this really nice big buck. And I never had put a camera in there or anything. But I did sneak up in there. Um, I don't know, it was probably three weeks ago, I guess, and I'm hoping he's still around in there. So I got a bunch of cameras out looking for him, and it's a little tougher doing it that way. Just usually I find them because they leave tracks in the snow, but doing it this way, right. you know, you got to find them with other ways, and it's a little different gig for me, but I don't know. I just sprinkle cameras around where I think they might be, and if I get one, then I'll take it from there, you know. But So where do you put in your cameras? What does that strategy look like? You 
keeping them in the food for inventory or putting them where you plan on hunting or yeah so uh, yeah i think i always probably put them where i'm planning on hunting you know and i guess where i'm planning on hunting would be it's and it's again it's always been this way for me it's swamps i'm i love hunting swamps i'm always close to near and i guess my strategy probably is is it's you know i i'm always trying to be as close to that deer as i can um when he's bedded so when he gets up or when he's going to his bed um especially when he gets when he gets up i got little kids now and stuff so you know i'll hunt mornings and stuff but i hunt a lot more evenings i think than i do mornings just because the way my schedule works yeah Um, early season that seems to be the better plan exactly i think when the rifle season and stuff it's usually morning and all day actually but um but definitely bow season's a lot of after work so i guess my strategy again and it's always been this way for me and i i never really gave that much thought until i was on a different podcast and we were talking about it and you know and i guess there's probably three different ways right you can hunt a food source you can hunt where you think they're bedding or you can hunt somewhere in between right i guess when the rut and stuff and all that that's when funnels and scrapes probably i guess scrapes you could I guess, yeah, you can hunt scrapes earlier than maybe when yep. the rut gets going. But you know what I'm saying. Like, yep. it's kind of one of those three. And I've just always been attracted. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to get as close to, you know, where if that buck got on his feet in daylight, um, I just wanted to be as close to him as I could to have that chance at him, you know. It was never 200 yards away where there was some oak, uh, some acorns falling out of an oak tree, you know. Because in my mind, it just... I guess I just always thought like, well, what if he doesn't make it over there that 200 yards before I'm out of light? You know? Right. And then he's close and you're climbing down yeah. and it's yeah. bad news. But again, it's always been my my jam. I think before I ever, you know, went on to be a deer tracker and all that stuff, I just always had that thing where I just, I wanted to get in there as tight as I could. And that was a learning curve doing that. That's a, There's a knack to that, I'd say, because um, I think it's really easy to see a 200 acre swamp and want to put a stand right in the middle of it out in the middle on an island somewhere right that's a really easy instinct to have and i used to do that and that never seemed to work out and i kind of switched it up a little bit through the years of just you know figuring out that that didn't work and i uh now it's a lot more i'm getting tight as i can to it and um without letting him know i'm around at all you know so i think you got to be a smidge more conservative when you when you're especially bow hunting you when you're doing it that way you gotta you gotta get in there as tight as you can but there's a fine line that you gotta ride with that and not get too close and i guess i look at like big bucks and deer to me are two they're the same species but they're two completely different animals you know it's like young bucks and does and all that stuff that those are like one thing to hunt and I think once you break into, you know, four and a half, five and a half year old plus buck, I, I just, you know, I feel like I know what that animal is now. And it's a very different animal than just, you know, a two and a half, three and a half year old, you know, buck, doe, whatever. Those are, you know, you can get away with a lot more with those. I look at, I, I think when bucks reach maturity and they, and they all have their own personality, some are a little more, you know, skittish maybe than others and they are different but the general consensus for me is those big bucks again they're a different breed and you gotta cross all the t's and dot all the i's when you're hunting those things and you know and you number one for me is just again being 
doing everything I can to not let him know I'm around when I'm bow hunting. When it's tracking season, no big deal. I'll stroll right in there. I don't care if I blow him out of his bed as long as I can get on his track. No big thing. I'll take care of, you know, deal with it then. But bow hunting's a little different deal. So, um, so that's my strategy in the last probably four or five years anyways. And it's just, again, it's just experience where I've done it where, you know, blowing in the pieces and getting right in the center of the action and thinking that like this is going to work you know but all it takes is one bad wind swirl or him here and you're coming in there because you are too close and those big ones you just once you let them know you're what you're up to it's they'll switch up on you and you know a lot of people think that like those deer just go somewhere like you know maybe they move right out of there and you know and i that m- might be the case sometimes but it isn't like they go that far it's just he could just not get on his feet in daylight you know what I mean? Right. Stuff like that. And it's it's the same Simple deal, right? Right? Whether he moved out of the area and went somewhere different, 500 yards away or whatever that might be. But when he's tipped off like that and he just, you know, refuses to get on his feet and, you know, come out to maybe where your stand is in daylight, and they will do that. Like, it doesn't take much. All you got to do is go in there and cut a shooting lane on the stand you just hung in three days before the season, and you can do that to them guys, you know? Again, yep smaller bucks and does like they'll they'll probably acknowledge it and they might not like it but five days ten days goes by and here they come strolling right by without a care in the world but those big ones i just i see them differently and i i've just never really had any luck where i've gone in and done things like that and then had it work out but when i've done the opposite where you know i'm doing everything i can to just not let him know i'm around and then i go in there and it's like that first one or two times i'm in there he just doesn't have a clue you know and all of a sudden it's an hour before daylight and here he comes feeding out of the swamp you know and that's yep. what happened last year it was just he didn't even have a clue i was there you know but i i am sneaky when i'm doing that stuff like you know just like running cameras and stuff like right now we're sitting on my back porch and it's a blue sky and beautiful day outside and i would never go check a camera on a day like today like i would like it stinks because i i want to know what's on there and it's like that one on that buck that i found last year i've got i've had cameras up in there for two and a half weeks now and i haven't had a chance to check them because i just i don't go unless it's you know it's a rain if it's raining i'll go check them that's the only time so and that's just part of that sneaky me being sneaky i just don't want to leave any scent in there and have him come walking through two hours after i've left and be like what the heck and that's it i won't even know it and the game's gonna already be over right you know but when i'm like i said when i'm that other personality and i'm being as careful as i can and and i go way out of my way to do it and it just seems like again you know one of those first one or two times you're in that stand is just here they come you know but again you you make a mistake and let them know you're around and it just never has worked out for me. It seems like they just flip a switch and that's it. And I'll fight all season long to get my eyes on them, and it just never seems to happen. So, yep. but when I do the you know the other, I have a little definitely more success for sure. So yeah, and it takes takes a, some years of getting burned to to yeah. learn that. And yeah, that's what I'm kind of learning this year is what I've been doing hasn't been working. I mean, I usually kill a deer or two every year, but um, the big ones. My cameras kill a lot of a lot of big bucks, and they got I got quite a few big ones on camera this year, uh, especially in Massachusetts. But um, I just got to learn that uh, that sneakiness a little bit more. I think yeah. I think that's the last thing that um, I need to learn to do is like the camera I got down in that cut in mass. I I well I freshen up the batteries and change the car to the end of July, 
and I won't be in there until the season opens, which is it opens on the 18th of October, but that's a Monday, so I won't be in there until the Saturday, which is like the 23rd. That's the next time I'll go down in there. Yeah. But it's on a it's on a community scrape that they hit year round, and I've run cameras on it year round, and they're they're in there and you know april may doesn't matter they're right. they're hitting that licking branch they may not scrape the ground but i found it when the ground was torn up uh, after muzzleloader season i was actually tracking a buck and he went through it but um yeah so i just think a lot of it is just for me the game changer like uh, for everything that i just said when my be- opinion became that it's when I made the distinction between deer and big bucks. Yep. And that that nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever said that. Like, listen, you got to look at these things as two different deals. You know, like I, that was just me learning on my own. And in a lot of years of not getting that buck that I was after because I did all those things. You know, like. But I eventually just and I'm a thinker, anyways. I think things through and analyze stuff and just I think about stuff and. When that switch finally flipped in me where I realized, listen, these things are just different than just deer. You know, they're just, they're they're different. And once I made sense of that, my approach changed a little bit. And once, once that started happening, when I decided like, okay, this is a different animal and you got to be a little more careful with this. That's when probably I I would say things started changing a lot for me as far as like, you know, not so much track and, and, and for the record too. Everything I just said goes away when November's around and the rut's going and stuff. Because, I mean, you could have that thing standing in the back, you know, 30-acre field behind your house at 11 o'clock in the morning with a doe. Right. You know what I mean? That all goes away then. But I think when that's not going, you know, and they're just being big bucks, that's everything I just said. That's kind of what I'm talking about. It's like I said, it all goes away. Yeah, trying to hunt them in September is way different than, you know, late October. Yep. Even, I mean, at least in the Northeast, I mean, the full rut, like when they're, the big ones are being stupid, when the big ones know the does are coming in heat, that's not till like the 15th, right? Yeah. November. Yeah. And like, most people think like, oh, the first week of, first week in November, well, those big ones are laying up. They'll let all the young bucks run them does around and. Yeah. Well, those big ones, they know, they, cause it, it, you go out, if you ever hunt the Midwest, you get out where there's a, the deer herd, you know, the the population is high and you have lots of deer you go out there and, and that's exactly the case you go the first week in uh november and go sit in a standout in the middle of illinois or iowa or something and you know and they're starting to think about it like the does are, they, they're not quite there yet but it's starting to get on everybody's mind and and that's what you'll see you'll see does getting chased by year and a half two and a half maybe a three and a half year old buck but you it's very seldom you'll see that you know old mature buck out doing that and that's just his experience he knows that you know it's starting to get on everybody's mind but he knows deep from his experience he knows they're not ready so he's he's not wasting his time with that but those little ones they don't know any better they just know that how they feel and like i like the look of that and they just off they go right they just they don't even know so those big boxes they'll just sit back and let them do all that for a week and then when the does are actually ready that's when you'll see those guys step in you know so when the actual breeding's ready to take place yeah that's when those guys are hanging around and you saw like in our video that was on the 15th right that was yeah yeah 11 15 11 15 that was at the very start like and that doe, remember that doe that he was with? Yeah. Like, she was just a big, huge... Giant. Yes, just a big... I was huge. wondering why that other buck didn't have antlers. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. where I'm from, that 
you know, she was 170, 180, whatever. Yeah. That'd be a good buck where, man, you know, yeah. down here. But they're just a different. And everything's later up there anyway. Yeah. Because it has to be. Right. Because of winter. They're ruts that later would, and they're, that they buck drop fawns later. And, yeah, that buck was there because I'm sure it was that doe. I think there was a couple does with him, wasn't there? Yeah. I think there was another one with her, a smaller one, but... You know that's that was why, a mess in there. Yeah, that's why he was there. He was there because she was close and she was ready. You know, and if if it was five days before that and she wasn't, it probably would have been a, you know, hundred and sixty pound six pointer with yep. her maybe. You know, but he knew. You know, and those big ones they know, and that's that's a great. That's why he was there. Yeah, that's exactly why he was there. You know, so yeah. So, uh, so you got your bow over there. I do. That's the. Brand new Hoyt, $3,000 Hoyt, is it? Yep. <laughs> it's funny. Jason's like, yeah, we're going to talk gear and stuff. And for the record, just so everybody knows about me, I am not like... We're going to talk about his FOC. and Yeah, I am not a techie <laughs> dude at all. Like, I can't tell you models of my arrows. I just, you know I what think I mean? it's a recurve. Yeah. Yeah. My bow's like, I don't know. I'll bet you that sucker is pff, a, 10 years old, I bet. Yeah. It's yeah. a Hoyt Vector. Hoyt Vector. Yep. Our rxt yeah i don't know yeah old school i sh- it's a 32 axle to axle that's a sweet size for me i've always liked that size i've had some shorter ones the axle to axle you know 30 inch and all that and i've had the bigger ones 34 and i don't know 32 is a good hunting size for me i think if i was competitive shooting and stuff i might go 34 or 36 or something like that but they get a little big to lug around in the woods and stuff so but yeah, it's been a good bow. I thought about getting a new one, and I'm like, I don't know. This thing, it works. It works, and I probably will one day. But I don't know. It's still doing the trick. So yep. Yeah. You, you shooting like just expandables? Yeah, like I shoot green. I do shoot uh, those uh, two inch rage. Yep. Expanded the nose. I switched to those a couple years ago. I shot both those bucks last year with them, and. I, you know, and I, I've heard all the arguments on expandables, and I'm sure some people listening to this are going to be like, they would never do it. But I got to tell you, those things have been great for me. And I think some of it is, you know, I'm not the best shot in the world. And if I can get a two inch, uh, you know, wide blade that can help me out for my lack of shooting skill, maybe uh, <laughs> I'm all for it. So, um, so yeah. So that's why I, that's kind of why I turned to those. And like I said, I've shot a, a few deer with them now, and I love the way they perform. And again, I know there's angles and different arguments on why they wouldn't work, but oh, there's a you know, there's and I get, a lot of yeah, information out there. I get all that, but they've been great for me. So, but uh, yeah, and I'm a better shooter, bow shooter now than I used to be. Um, it took me a lot of years to get settled in on you know, with target fear and all the different stuff that comes along with bow, shooting a, a bow. And I think I'm just finally getting to that stage in my life where I'm semi-seasoned, you know, and I, yeah. you know, and like last year, just a perfect example, like I always would shoot. I mean, I'd start shooting my bow and who knows when, I mean, it could be June, all, I'd shoot it all through the summer, you know, just shot after shot after shot. And just, I, that's what I needed. And that's what I, told myself I needed but like nowadays like you know I'll I'll go I'll do a handful of shots you know like and I say a handful it's more than a handful but enough to get my muscle memory where I feel comfortable you know where I'm not shaking when I got it held back and all that stuff but I don't have to shoot a million shots anymore and I almost found that I do better when I don't shoot too much I think there's a spot for me anyways where 
I can shoot too much, you know, and it's just, I think you can sometimes create some bad habits and stuff. And I've worked through, I've had all the bad habits of you name it. I mean, I've had it all target fear and this and that and all this punching the trigger, punching the trigger, all of it. I've worked through all of it and I've, I finally made sense of it all and, and worked myself through it. And I just feel like now I'm at that stage where I don't have to go pound a thousand arrows before the season anymore. You know what I mean? Now I can just get where in my mind I know, okay, I'm good. And I feel like I just do better that way, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at right now is just, like I said, I'm more, it's a few less shots, but I'm a lot more seasoned. And I guess what it was for me is I had to get comfortable with the sight picture of being drawn on a deer, you know, and that's, that was the struggle. It was never the mechanics of shooting a bow. It was just being comfortable enough to be able to, you know, have my finger on that trigger at full draw on a deer when it wasn't a 10, it was, I was, you know, off my target in a seven, you know, and not punching that trigger. There was a spell I went through with just that target fear of having that pin anywhere on that deer was a hard thing to work through, you know, yeah. but there's a, the guys that are good, you know, there's, there's some guys that are, you know, excellent shooters and I, and to go a little further, excellent shooters at deer, you know, there's guys that can go shoot targets all day and shoot pinwheels at 60 yards with those, but you put a 10.212 pound buck in front of them yeah. and it's a different gig, you know, it's a, it's a totally different story right there. And in that moment right there to keep yourself together and, and get that pin exactly where you know it needs to be and have that discipline of, yeah, landing that pin on that spot and settling and doing all your, you know, your steps through your shooting process, you know. And that was something that it took me to 40 years old before I was able to do that in my mind, you know. But pre that, it was all that practice and shooting tens on my target. But the second a deer walked out in front of me, it was – all that rent went went away and it was like i said the pin just gets close and wham send it yep. you know it's just a, it. it's a target for your thing so i'm finally to that stage and maybe maybe it's age maybe it's you know just getting some under my belt i don't really know what it is but yeah, i do I think, know i, I think know if you start shooting deer you know like you said that goes away yeah yeah like it's, the targets targets don't get your heart pumping mm. so you you've you know been killing deer and I think that's probably yeah. what helped it. Yeah. There's there's a, you know, a, at least for me anyways, I remember back when I was younger, and I haven't shot a lot of does, but, you know, like I have shot a couple with a bow. And I I have no problem watching deer. I've watched deer for years with my bow sitting in my stand, and I'm not shooting this deer. And it's like I can sit there and do that, but the second I make my mind up, I'm shooting that big doe. I mean, your heart it's, rate. it's instant, like – shakes and all you know what i mean just knowing that like yeah i'm actually going to shoot this thing and you know there's, there's they're very different two different things and learning to control that and have control over that and through that moment because i give it again i think about things and i realize that that moment you know the difference of drawing on that deer and getting your pin close to that bullseye that you're trying to shoot on that deer let's just say it's the heart shot behind the shoulder broadside you know the difference of shooting six inches away from that and hitting the heart is only a half of a second that's all it is and i realized that and i realized like what are you doing you dummy like 
you're only talking about a half of a second here. Like, keep your crap together for the next yeah. half of a second. That's all it is. Work all through the, your shot. Yeah, everybody that's listening to this that has bow hunted, you, you guys all probably have the ability to shoot that heart on that deer broadside. It's just that getting through that last half of a second to get that pin to that heart, stop, settle, boom, squeeze your trigger, you know? And, and that's a tough thing, and that was a hard thing for me, you know? But I did realize that's all it is. You're only talking about a fraction of a second. So I was like, cut it out, you dummy. It's just another half a second. Keep your crap together, and it's a diff. And, and here's where the experience comes in. I've had the misses. I've had the bad shots. And I got to tell you, I don't like it. I don't like having to tell people the story about the one that got away. I don't like that. I, just to me, like, that's a bad memory. I think of all the ones that that's happened on and the ones that I haven't got because I did stuff like that. And I just never enjoyed that. To me, like, it, it's a, it's almost like a stain on my memories, you know? And I like the memories of, you know, like, yeah, I got him, and he weighed 192 pounds, and he's a beautiful 10-pointer and all that. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that feels good yeah. to me. And I realize the bad feeling you're going to carry f until the next season, as a matter of fact, probably the rest of your life, yeah. you know, for a half of a second, I'm just going to learn to manage that last half a second. And that's what I did. I just, again, just told myself in my mind, I'm like, you just got to get better at getting through that half a second. And that's what I did. And I just, so, you know, and not that I don't make mistakes, and I still can. I probably get on here in a month from now and i'm going to tell you about a huge one that i missed <laughs> that i missed you know i don't know but i i can feel myself getting a lot better with it and that's what helped me a lot right there is just understanding that last half of a second is the difference of a really bad memory or one of the best memories you'll ever have in your life you yeah know? and that's especially if you have the luxury of you don't have to stop him like if he's just coming out slowly feeding or something and there's no reason you can't shoot your shot with control yeah you got all the time even if you have to stop him just like like you said just take that yeah just pull 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 then it goes off yeah and then and, you you and, know and find your the heart shot and anybody that's listening to this it, this makes sense to find your own way of getting to that spot being the heart and i had this kid tell me this one time i was in illinois uh i was guiding for a uh, outfitter down there just for a week and i met this kid and man he was a uh, just ice in his veins he shot a beautiful big buck and he was just one of those dudes and like he told me when he draws on a buck and okay here, here he comes i want this deer when he draws he he focuses on one hair on that deer he breaks that down not to the heart he'll find he'll just laser focus on one hair but that's yep. how dialed he can get you know and he doesn't touch that trigger until that pin is on that hair well now take a heart which is say six inches by four or whatever it is right right on a big one yeah, yeah but see that's his way of getting down to that 12 ring versus a 10 or an 8 or a whatever you know what i'm saying yep. and i always remembered he did that and that's just that was his system that's what he did but that always made sense to me of just and some guys will have to do that you know when you get drawn and that moment's starting to go down Instead of just like, okay, I just want to be behind the shoulder, could be three inches too high or three inches too low, whatever the scenario is, if your eyes are locked on a specific, that small of a spot in there, it's really easy to get into that 12 ring when you can yep. do that. And if you can make it through that half a second that I just talked about to get to the, I mean... When you can get in that mindset right there, I mean, you will. That kid would smoke him. I mean, just it was if he if he called and said, "Yeah, I just shot." Like it, you knew, you know what I mean. He was just in 
that was it's something that come it, for me it was I had to mature and I had to make some mistakes to get there I guess but maybe just talking about it maybe some of you guys out there that are listening I hope it helps and I hope it gets you there quicker you know but that is something that's a place it's a good place to be it's in your mind and just learning to deal with that moment right there yeah there's a good um there's a podcast called East Meets West Hunt and uh there's this guy out there his name's Joel Turner he does shot IQ it's controlled process shooting which is a, a course you'd have to pay money for but if you just listen to that podcast he gives out so much good information about talking yourself through your shot and yeah. and all that and I I started working on it and it literally made me change my um release yeah cuz I rele- realized my release had so much travel in it yeah that I would I'd pull 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 and it's like a bad trigger on a gun it's just just such a wall to so i bought a release that basically goes off it kind of feels like the trigger on the woodman arms it's basically like no pressure at all and the thing goes off yeah. and my shots got way better yeah and and learning how to you know instead of pulling my finger like using my back to pull through my shot and right yeah it helped a lot so yeah, anybody so. out there that has target panic find that podcast give that a listen because it's a lot of good information in there. So I, and that's actually good because I want to talk about this for one second. So I struggled with target fear badly. There was a spell, you know, when I was in my early, probably early 20s or so, somewhere in there, that it was bad. Like I couldn't, I would never be able to get drawn and get my pin to actually settle on the bullseye. Like, I could never get there. I would just, the target field was too much, and I would punch it. I might punch it when I was an inch away or two inches away or, you know, five inches away on a bad day, right? I just could never get the pin to settle on that and hold and now go through the mechanics of, like you said, right? right? Squeezing your shot off. So, and it was just, again, it was target fear, and I just, I just, couldn't get the sight picture to ever get there so what i ended up doing was i realized it was a thing and back then you know there was a lot less information from me it's nice with you doing this jason and there's a lot more information out now yeah, it's good you know, to get it out it's really good and see i didn't have that when i was younger you know you just work. the only problem is now us my age coming up and younger we got no excuses yeah <laughs> yeah right there's all the information in the world at our disposal yeah and there is there's so much information out there but how i ended up getting myself through this was all right so i have target fear really bad again i can never even get my pin to the actual bullseye i'm trying to shoot but what i ended up doing was and i just thought this up myself and and it ended up working for me but what i did is i'd knock an arrow draw my bow back and I would keep my finger behind my trigger of my release. Yep. And I would draw back and I would get that pin on the bullseye. And I would just see what it looked like. I would just, all I was doing is showing my mind what the actual sight picture would look like. Because yep. I was never able to get there. I would touch her off a half of a second before I ever made it to it. So, again, I I get my finger behind the trigger. And I remember the first time I did it. The very first time I stuck my finger behind the trigger. I drew my bow back. I brought that pin down. And, boy, that sucker got close to that bullseye. And I remember, like, my finger's behind the trigger. So I can't set this thing off. But I actually, like, buckled a little. Like, I flinched. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, I was so used to doing that that, like, it, I was like, whoa. And I just, I let the bow down. And then I just, I drew it back again and lined everything all up, got that uh, 20-yard pin on that bullseye. And once I 
finally felt what that looked like. You know, now my mind sees it and my eyes see it. Now I can, okay, all right, this is what it feels like to actually get the pin there. I'm always two inches away from it before, and I'm touching her off. I've never actually made it to this moment. And I just would draw my bow with my finger behind the trigger. You know, I probably did it, I don't know how many times, 50. I don't know how many times it took me before finally, like, my mind got so used to seeing that sight picture, what it felt like to actually have my pin on that what I was aiming at and settled and yep. sitting there and not, like, you know what I mean? Like, once I got that feel, then eventually I just got to the point, like, I can do this. And then the next one, I put my finger in front of the trigger, and I just, I was so repetitive those 50 times of seeing what that looked like, I ended up getting right back there and did the exact same thing. Well, now my finger's in, on the trigger. And boom, send it, and there it is. Cool. All right, holy smokes, I got it. And then once I once I turned that corner right there, it's been a lot better for me. But I had to find a way to get my mind to see that without that panic, you know? Yeah. So I don't I, know if that makes sense to anybody, but. It, it does because that's exactly what he talks about that, in that, really? that process. So he breaks it down scientifically, like mechanical receptive triggers in our brain, like our body our mind won't allow our to cause our body impact as a surprise. So what you have to you have zero control over your aim. So you have to let it go. So what you do is you draw, you settle your pin and then you just watch it like a picture. And then you just talk yourself through your shot and your subconscious will keep your pin there because that's where your aiming point is, but you have to let go of the aim. Yeah. You have to walk out of that that room of that house, so the the shot control house. You got to walk out because you have no control. As soon as you try to get my pin there, dump and punch the trigger, all the reactions, like you'll flinch, you'll do this, you'll do that, and you have zero control over your aim. Yeah. So that's that's what he talks about in that. But it's funny because you never listen to that, and that's I, exactly what you discovered. Nobody ever told me. It. it was just, I was just looking. So it does. It makes perfect sense. I was looking for a way. I was like, I got to get this under control and just figure this out. And I, nobody, again, nobody told me. I didn't have yep. any information that wasn't out there, and I just I dreamed it up in my head, and once I did it, and it did cure me. Yeah, and it then, works. And then when you get, like, it's one thing to do that on targets in your backyard, but then, and I'm gonna I'm not going to lie to you, am I that same person on deer with a bow? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm getting closer, and I'm almost there, but I'm still, that's, you know, it, it's almost like you can do it in your backyard and get yourself in headed in the right direction. But yeah, then, but get that fever. Boy, then there's that. You mix in... You know, a 212-pound, you know, whatever, and, like, the deer you want and that, you know, the buck fever or whatever it is, you mix that in there. And, boy, those people that can do that, I have so much respect for those people, like, because it's not an easy thing. And I think a lot of it just goes right back to, you know— I'm just such a deer hunter and I just love it so much. And I, you know what I mean? And it's, it just, it almost creates anxiety in that moment because it's such a passion for you. You know what I mean? That's what it always was for me. The guy that really doesn't give a crap and I go hunting, you know, opening day every year and that's it and whatever. And that buck steps out, that guy smokes that sucker. You know what I mean? But somebody like maybe we are that just live this and it's just you know, so ingrained into who we are and we want it so much that I just, I think it creates that maybe some pressure and and anxiety and all these, you know, uncomfortable feelings that go with it because it's so deep rooted into who you are. And I always, I always thought of it as not being obsessed, but being consumed. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's not even an option. Yeah. It's just who we are. It's, it's, 
it was something I discovered later in life. This is only my 11th season. I'm about to turn 33, but it was, it lived within me. Yeah. And like, just like Amy, she was a hunter and never knew it, never right. had any idea. Right. And now she's like, you know, yeah. she's look, she's looking out field at birds. Like, oh, it's like two Jakes, maybe a hen. Oh, that might be, it might be a first year Tom looking at his beard might be a first year Tom like dude two years ago you had no idea any of these lingos were yeah and I yeah. I took I had a hunch maybe it'd work took her out and she got lucky the first day but hey yeah she's hooked now we got another hunter to buy tags it's it's good well I found that within me young I think it's always been there and you're just, born with it for I sure. was it's just it's always been there for me I never some people can get into it and like it's okay I go out for rifle season and yeah but with us it's obsessed isn't right it's yeah. consumed yeah yeah it's just who I am my wife always teases me she's like I swear he's part whitetail you know what I mean yeah. and I feel like you and know, she's a good hunter too yeah excellent hunter you know but it's just I don't know I just live my whole life around him. I always have always have as long as I can remember my whole life is just revolved around deer in a way, you know, and I do my other stuff in between, like fishing and all that other stuff. But while thinking about deer, yeah, it's all, that's <laughs> it. It's just stuff to get me by until deer season, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, speaking of shooting deer, you got a couple bucks with your bow last year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did. Uh, Next I, to swamps. Yep, Was it from right, the same tree? Same tree. Same two tree, nights later. Two nights later, about the same time. Yep. Yeah. It was like cleaned six, up the swamp. Yep. There was like five bucks in there. There was a bunch of them. Um, and there's another good one in there this year. He's a big A-pointer. I have his sheds from last year, and I, he's not really that old yet, but, he, man, he's got a beautiful set of headgear on him, and i got to decide on what I'm going to do on that one. But I might even, I don't know. We'll see. I know he needs, like, one more year, but where I live, I live in the southern part of New Hampshire, and, you know... It's a little bit different out here. If you were on private ground where you could manage and stuff like we see on TV and stuff, the problem is it's not like that around here. And, you know, he's he's nice. I just, I'm hoping, here's what I'm hoping. I know that buck and I know about how old he is and I know he needs one more year and I'm really hoping to stumble across something else <laughs> that <laughs> is bigger and better and I'll forget about it. But at the moment, he's the biggest one I've got. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, but there's a few bucks in there. There's a, there's a couple, I got a buddy that hunts out there too. And he showed me some pictures the other day of a pretty nice nine pointer that's out there and stuff. So, but you know, it's real easy for me to sit here and say that until it's September 17th and 630 and here he comes walking. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's a, that's a hard thing to, you know, if a deer gets your heart pumping. Yeah. He, he's worth shooting. I yeah, guess. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I, maybe I'm just. I guess I'm probably at that stage. I guess, I don't know. I've got enough now. And here's the thing with me is like, it's never, it's never been about numbers for me. Like you listen to some people and it's like, oh, I got seven this year. I got 10, whatever it is. Like it's never. Who the hell do you hang out with? Yeah. You know what, you know what it is with me is like 10. You know, I'm a hunter, and anybody that's listening to this and knows me, you know what I'm about and stuff and, and what I do. But, yeah, I just I want it to be a good one, and I know what I want. I know what I've got in the past, and um, just I have, a, I guess, a standard that I like, and that's what I want, you know. And I've maybe I've gotten better at holding out for just that, and that's just where I'm at. And if I go without, so be it. You know what I mean? It's just 
that's where I'm at in my career, I guess. Yep. You know, I had a similar uh, situation last year in turkey season. Like I said, Amy was learning, so I was kind of playing guide the whole month, and there'd been a lot of shooting going on, but none by me. And it was getting like in the twenties of May, you know, and uh, I was up to bat. She was filming, and these group we struck up some birds. It was a group of jakes, and they came in off the power line. And I was like, screw it, like I, I'm letting one fly. Like, yeah, I'm. It's before work. Like, you know, I just I want to shoot. So I rolled this Jake over. It was it was cool. It had a triple beard, but it was one of those ones you had to dig for. Yeah, you know, just a young bird, and I didn't feel great about it. Nothing wrong with shooting Jakes. I'm not opposed to shooting Jakes at all. It's just I felt like I killed it because I wanted to shoot something. Yeah, and I didn't feel good about it. So this year I said it's a Tom or it's it's a bird I want or it's nothing, and right. I went without. Again, I got Amy her two birds, and I screwed up on a couple of big ones, and I passed up five or six jakes i could have smoked but i just i didn't feel good about that not about you know i i ate the bird and that's all good but um i felt like i killed it for the wrong reason and you know that's just you maturing you know that's yeah, all it, it is it, it's it just didn't feel good you're going into the next stage of you know your hunting yeah, career maybe. you know and and that's a natural thing every i think everybody most everybody does go through it and it's a good thing that's a good thing you know to do that was a funny hunt though because she's still learning like how good their eyes are <laughs> so she's got the camera and she's to my right and she's in the wide open and now it's too late they broke the wood line they're coming in and i'm like oh this ain't good <laughs> so the first jake busts us flies away the other two kind of run off and i i know my gun and pretty well and it, it's it's pretty deadly at 50 yards and there was one out there quite a ways and i paced it off it was like 45 but i rolled them right over did you yeah yeah but it was kind of funny. I, I looked over at her, and she's right out next to me in the wide open with the camera. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. They're going to see us. But Yeah. So let's talk about that, uh, the Big Ten last year. Was it 196? 192. 192. Yeah. Well, you should let it go another year. Yeah. But a bigger buck next year. Yeah, it was year. 192. Yeah, 192. Yeah, he was nice. That buck fooled me uh, quite a bit because um, I, I had him on camera. I think the first time I saw his picture was about, it was about two weeks before the season. It was September 1st to the 3rd-ish, somewhere probably right in there. I'd stuck a camera out there, and um, I had his picture on there, him and like four other bucks. There was like five of them in there. And um, when I saw his picture, you know, like, I'll be honest with you, he was, I didn't think he was as good as he was. Like, when I saw the picture, I was like, oh, it's just kind of mediocre, you know. And, it, and it's early season, you know, that they look, you know, in early September, late August and stuff, you know, the, the necks are skinny. And, right. and, and I, I'm not great at judging. I, I've never been great at judging deer off of pictures. It's funny. I, I see people post pictures of, you know, a ca uh, game camera picture of a deer and like, oh, what do you think this thing weighs? I'm telling you what, I am the <laughs> last person you want to ask that. Cause you say, bet it's over a hundred. Yeah, you know, it's like I I don't know. It's hard for me. I just again, I I'm not good at judging them. And that thing, totally, totally, you know, I I just thought he was a lot smaller than he was. I thought he was like probably a two and a half year old. But then the day it went down, when he came walking out, I I was sitting in my stand, and I had the swamp just the way the tree was. It was in a climber, and um, I climbed up in the tree, and the tree was laying. You know, a lot of times when you get 10 15 feet up whatever it is um 
you know, the tree will, you know, it's, it's trying to grow to the sun. So sometimes they'll lay one way while in a climber, you got to, you know, I'm on that side that works where I can lean back into the tree. I'm not on the opposite side where I'm trying to fall off my platform. And yeah, that's always a comfortable. Set. Oh yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> terrible. You do that. You do that once. Yeah. You never do it again. Yeah. I have done it once and yep. I don't think I've done it again. Yeah. But anyways, I just looked over my right shoulder because two nights before I had shot that other buck um, and that's where he came out of. So it was, you know, I was like, well, I guess that's where they're laying. And again, I went in there two nights later and just the way I was sitting that swamp where that buck had come out was over my right shoulder. And I looked out, I just, you know, I was scanning around and it was time to take a peek over there. And I looked out there and I just saw him out in the swamp, like feeding through. He was just kind of slowly walking, kind of nipping as he went. And, um, what's, um, it was just browse or yeah, is there just, any mass crop in there? No, or? the mass crop was on the land where I was, right. which was acorns that year. Um, but he was just browsing his like birches and beaches and stuff. There's like all yep. these little small saplings and he was, I don't know what he was eating off him, but he was eating. I watched yeah, him. It's weird. They just, they know what their body yeah. needs and they just, yeah. And he was kind of like just, a salad yeah. with dinner, you know? Yeah. He's just picking his way through, you know, coming out of the swamp and, um, I don't know, he was in the swamp and it was thick and stuff in there and you know, he was probably forty yards away from me, but I could see him and stuff and he just was milling his way out, working his way out and um he got probably not even that far from me. I mean he got within twenty yards of me and he was behind a tree and he, like I said, he was feeding and he was uh <coughs> he'd stick his nose up into a some brows there and he'd take a couple bites and he was weaving like back and forth on each side of that tree like one one time he looked like he was going gonna go to the right side of that tree so i you know would get ready for him to come out that way and then like something would catch his eye and he'd go feed over this way and he went to the other side of the tree where he's coming out the opposite side and he did that like three times going back and forth and he finally committed to one side and um i got myself all set up because it was kind of behind me so i had to stand up and turn around and face my tree and yeah he just kind of came feeding his way out and he ended up uh i bet you that buck this is it's gonna sound crazy to some of you people but i mean i shot that buck there's no lie i mean i'll bet you i shot him at eight feet ten feet at the most like i mean he was so close he just I don't, I'm afraid of heights. It's been a thing for me my whole life. Jason knows this, but I just, I am. I've always been afraid of heights, and to this day, I still am. I'm better. Deer hunting has got me a lot better at, at heights, but I'm never going to be one of those guys that can get 20 feet up in a tree. I might be able to and get you're, there. And you're proof that you don't have to be. Yeah, but I, I might get up there, but there's no way. Like, I've been at those heights where there's no way I would have ever been able to reach over, grab my bow, stand, no chance. And been and comfortable frozen. shooting. I'm talking frozen. Stuck like I'm telling you, you could have a 240 inch deer walk out, and I mean, it would take everything I had to be able to do that. So, um, so I was only I bet you my platform wasn't, I mean, I know my platform was no more than 10 feet off the ground. And like I said, I mean, he was, I bet you it was one big step away from the base of my tree, like me. If I went and put one foot against the base of the tree and took one giant step. That's where he was. So, I mean, he was just right underneath me and had no clue. No, I mean, no idea I was there. And like I said, he was feeding his way out. And what happened was I was up on land just probably 15 yards off of that swamp. And he fed his way out on all that brow stuff he was feeding on. But all the acorns were right there 
where I was. There was oak trees around me. And he stepped up on that land and he committed to that one side of the tree. So I knew where he was coming. He was underneath a little bit, you know, because there's so much foliage that time of year. And there was just this one branch and he was kind of hidden behind it a little bit. And that was my opportunity for him to get, once I knew he committed to coming to this side, I got myself all set up and he was still underneath that branch and just enough cover. And I got my bow drawn and he finally stepped out into the shooting lane, which was again, two feet from the base of my tree, eight feet down. He just walked right underneath me, but he was looking for an acorn. Like he was, I saw, I could, I literally saw him scanning the ground, looking around for an acorn laying on the ground. Like he was just looking for his next bite is all he was doing. You know, and like I said, he was right underneath me. And the funny part about that was, too, is like the way the wind was that day, like it was angling. It wasn't blowing directly to where he was bedded, but it was kind of in my face. And when he stepped under me, the wind was blowing right over the top of him. Like, I cannot believe he didn't win me, but he didn't. He was so close, I think. I think my wind was if he was 10 yards away from me. It probably would have he'd I'd blown him out of there because he was I couldn't believe he didn't smell me. I think he was just so close to me that even though I was only my feet were ten feet off the ground, my head was probably say fifteen or whatever. Um, I think he was just so close that wind just it, it never had a chance to come down to the ground at all. Yeah, you know umbrella what I'm effect. Oh yeah, it was just it couldn't have been any more perfect. So yeah, so I drew back on him and yeah. Got through that you, half. Got through that half a second we just talked about. And yep. Did, did you score him up? He must have been. Yeah, he scored in the one thirties. Yeah. yeah, it was uh, a nice I buck. Had, I had a guy score him. Uh, he's I'll probably the, put his picture for the thumbnail of this. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was one thirty-two, something like that. Yep. I had a guy score it, and he's like, "That thing makes Pope and Young." And he asked me, he was a New Hampshire uh, scorer, and he's like, "Will you enter that?" Because I usually don't enter any of my deer or anything, but. He's like, it'd be good for the state. You should enter that. And I was like, if you want it in there, I will. So I haven't done it yet. But, yeah, so it was somewhere around there. But it was a good one. And yeah. like I said, when he stepped out, again, I just – I remember after I shot him, he he took off and got out of my sight. He only went probably – I don't think he went 50 yards. But I've made that mistake before too where, you, you know, you think like, oh, yeah, he's down and you go over there and he's not there and then the chase is on. And I've done that whole deal. And unless that thing – dies right there in front of me i'm giving it some time but i i remember when i called andrea i i snuck down out of my tree and and snuck out of there and got away and i called her up and i'm like you ain't gonna believe it but i just got him i shot him and she's like really and she's like how is he and i'm like he's way bigger than i thought he was you know like when i got a chance to see him no ground shrinkage oh yeah i knew because i got a good look at him because like i said at eight feet you can you know you get a good idea and he was just so much bigger than what i thought you know in that picture and yeah, he was a good one. That's my best, probably my best New Hampshire buck, anyways, with a bow. I think I've shot bigger ones other places, but yeah, he was a nice one. That was a really nice buck. So, and that you know that whole thing helped me out a little bit. It, it taught me something. It, it you know it showed me that what I was doing and my new thought process of how to bow hunt some of these deer and how to locate them and how to not let them know you're around like that was proof for me that that works you know that was one of the first ones that holy smokes i've been doing this my whole life and i never seems to work out and then i kind of tried this little bit different approach i tweaked my approach a little bit and just got a whole lot more navy seal on them and it worked you know and yeah because that's a that's a mature buck he's probably oh yeah four or five oh yeah he was definitely yeah he's at least four and a half i never had him age but he's at least four and a half yeah, um, they, they live that long. They've survived 
Yeah. You know, especially here where I live, you know, because this pressure here, this is, this is, like I said, there's, there's hunters here. So these deer are different, you know, they, they deal with pressure. You know, uh, John Eberhart? I know that. You heard name. that name? Yeah. He's Michigan hunter. He's killed like 700 Pope and Young. Yeah. 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 Whatever. I've listened but to him actually. He, he's, he's a really good mature buck killer. And he said he's only, he can only think of like one or two that didn't have some sort of previous wound either yeah. was a scar or he's pulled bullets out of them or yeah. broadheads or something he's yeah. like those things are like warriors oh they're yeah just really good at staying alive oh yeah they and get... michigan gets he hunts you know high pressured areas and he's still killing these bucks and they're in swamps yeah coincidentally yeah there's yes. something to that oh yeah there's definitely something to it um but yeah they uh yeah, they just they get really smart. They're just they're smart critters. Seven hundred was an exaggeration, though. I'm I'm a little. Sarcastic. I've listened to him on podcasts. <laughs> I found him on YouTube one day, and I've I've listened to actually a handful of his podcasts. And yeah. yeah, that guy is definitely the real deal. But he's like the OG saddle hunter. He yes, like yep. He was one of the first ones. He he found one, and it. He was like, "Well, that looks cool," and he kind of modified it, and he's he never turned back. He never got in a tree stand again in his yep. life. Yep. But. And those, and you know, and pressure deer are different too. Like I had a kid here that was picking up a muzzleloader. He came to my house the other night from Maine. Nice kid, and we ended up. It's the way it always works. You come pick up a gun at my house. You might as well plan on staying for yeah. a while. Yeah, you're gonna get off for dinner and. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna all, be old, drinking wine before the night's over. Yep. Um, but anyways, me and him were chatting, and uh, you know, it's like I was telling him, like a pressured buck is almost a different deer than like the bucks that I kill up north. You know, those deer up there, they don't deal with any of that. Like, no. those things, it's completely different. Like, I look at a buck in the southern part of this state and that is in pressure. That's a completely different buck to hunt than one up in the mountains that's been living all by himself for, you know, six years. And he just doesn't have interaction with people or any of that stuff. But you get in areas where you have a lot of hunting pressure and stuff, and it's a completely different buck to hunt. Like, yep. they're two totally different things. To me, I mean, maybe yep. I got it wrong, but I look at those, they are completely different. You do something, like, you jump a buck, like, up north a lot of times, tracking and stuff, like, I'm, you jump deer, you you know, like, oh, whatever the reason is, like, he just, all of a sudden, there he is, and there he goes. That buck is going to, up there, is going to react completely different than if you do that to a buck down here. You do it to a buck down here, and it's, again, it's a completely different reaction, you know. That buck up there will relax and... 30 minutes and you could see him again today you yeah. know these bucks down here you know you'll probably be lucky to see him again this season if you're yeah. lucky you know what i'm saying they just they don't really leave they just go nocturnal exactly. that's their defense yeah they'll go out in the middle of that swamp and yep and he ain't coming out till 10 o'clock at night and even these deer down here i don't know about you know where the people listening where everybody lives but down here there's you know there's developments and houses and everything's kind of smaller woodlots and all that stuff and i mean some of these big bucks around here like we've got some big ones especially on the seacoast you get down into like you know along you know the seacoast and those towns down there and yeah. that's even more populated there's some of those bucks that reach ripe old age living in a stupid little yeah whatever thicket 50 yards off of somebody's back lawn yeah you know like it isn't always they just, eat, eat all their perennial plants yeah they just <laughs> you know but they survive there that's where they you know lay during dur daylight hours and they've been doing it for years and that's just what they do they just i don't know they're a very different critter like i said they're different animals than some of those bucks up north so yeah it's something i'm hoping to 
pick up on and learn. And like I said, I'm changing this season's whatever. If I go in the woods thinking like I was last year, I'm just going to stop and go, why are you going in here? Yeah. What's the reason? Why are you hunting here? If it, if it's over some acorns and I'm just hoping they come in feeding that night, nope. Turn around just go home. Don't even go scout somewhere. If yeah. you got to be in the woods, maybe yeah. go scout some scrapes, switch it up. And yep. I got to do something different because it's not working. Yeah. And that's something you just said right there. That's something that's really good. Like, I'm... I am a roamer. I always have. I've got that instinct in me. Like, I I love to go see new country. And yep. that's something that's helped me a lot. Like, there's some people that they shoot one deer out in this wood lot, and that's their spot. You I know, that's, that's a hard thing for, like, somebody that's wired like me. Like, I don't care if I'm up north or if I'm down here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I always, like that's that's some of the key to my success is i am not afraid to range you know and get out of my comfort zone and go check new and and sometimes you don't find what you want but hey you know i i always looked at it as at least you're eliminating that spot at least you know you don't want to go there right it's all intel it's just gaining intel and if it's the need to be in the woods you didn't burn up a good spot that's right by just i i gotta be in there i gotta be in there go do some scouting maybe take you know for the saddle hunters take your saddle in with you maybe you'll find a fresh scrape you scurry up a tree next to it yep hunt the rest of the evening yep and the good part about uh especially in the early season when you do that for a handful of years and you start getting some of those spots generally those spots are going to be good year after year yeah like that spot that we just talked about that swamp where i killed that buck like long as nobody goes in there and messes that up like it'll probably you'll probably be able to shoot a nice buck there i've shot yeah the year before last I shot a nice eight-pointer in there, and that's how I ended up there last year. So, I, like, early season, like, when you can get yourself a handful of those places, like, those places will continue for you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I, this is my theory on it. I think with all the habitat we have with woods and, you know, swamps and behind houses and thickets and all that different stuff, I think that there is something about – in the early season, there's something about those places. When you go take a big buck out of that spot, it has all that criteria that bucks want, right? And it's not just deer, because deer and does and little bucks and stuff, again, they'll, they're almost kind of in any little woodlot anywhere, right? Yeah, following the food. Following the food, whatever it is. You know, it's just whatever their reasons are. But big bucks, when you break into that breed... And you go and you take one out of this certain particular spot. You go back there early season the following year. And and on Pat's podcast, I said it's prime real estate. And that's what it is. There's prime real estate that bucks are going to have. Yeah. Right? Because they're the boss. When it comes to deer, if he decides that's the best spot around for to be, he's the one that's going to have it. Right? And when you start finding those places, if you can just get a handful of those going and – again year after year those places will produce because every buck in that area that time of year especially will chances are will be using that almost it's almost the same spot i've heard too i forget who said it i listen to so many podcasts but um and they'll claim that spot and if you see like like rubs on the outside of that swamp that's almost like a deer putting up posted signs that's him going like this is my swamp you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Have you seen any could, of that? Yeah, they, there's a handful in there. Yeah, like that particular. Yeah, that that particular part of that swamp. Yeah, there's a handful around in there. Yeah, but it's years of like 
the eight pointer I shot two years ago in there. Like he owns a few of those rubs. I'm sure the buck that I shot last year, I'm sure some of those are his too. You know, it's just, it's just outside of where he lives in a way, you know what I'm saying? So that's just a natural thing for them to shed velvet and it's middle October and I'm going to start marking my territory, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? So stay out. Yeah. My does. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, I'm a firm believer in that. I feel like any time I've ever taken a big buck in September, I go back there the following year, and the next big buck in our area, or in that immediate area, is going to take that spot over. It's like that mature buck has the prime real estate, and if you get rid of him, the next mature buck is going to want that prime real estate, and that's what it is. It's prime real estate. And what makes that? I don't know. I'm sure it's cover, it's feed, it's water. I, I, you know, whatever maybe, else it is. I maybe the the way the wind comes through there and they can maybe better escape. Yeah, whatever. Probably we're talking about pressure deer. Never yeah. gets bothered in there. That spot that we're talking about, that swamp. And here's another little, you know, in my opinion. So I've always hunted swamps. I've hunted swamps my whole life. I used to just go walk up to a swamp and the thing was 500 acres big and I'd want to go right to the middle of it. You know what I mean? Now I've learned with swamps that you've got to break that swamp down into a smaller section because in the middle of the rut, when everything's going on, you could see those things anywhere in that swamp. But when it's just deer living, no pressure, early season, whatever, whatever, they seem to always, in my opinion, take that 500-acre swamp. And if you can find that, it's going to be down to a, a couple acres that they actually truly live in. You know what I'm saying? It's yep. not just anywhere randomly in that 500-acre swamp. Sometimes it is. October, again, where rock gets going, there might be a doe lane who, you know, somewhere in that 500 and there, acres. And there but, might be areas that they'd get stuck in if they, or, you know, have to swim and they're they, going to stay out of those. And they'll do that. They'll, they'll, they'll swim. If they have to, Oh, yeah. yeah. Trust me. They feel pressure and it's middle of November. Go sit on one of those in dark in the morning you'll hear them crashing in there they have no problem doing that they'll do that that's survival you know and they will do that but when there it's it's a relaxed deer when it's just he's living again september 15th and it's early season but i guess my point is don't look at swamps as 500 acres try to find that one or two acres that they actually truly live in and use and then if you can find that that's when you get dialed in to however you're going to hunt it and there's a bunch of different ways to do that but that's my opinion on swamps did you find this one this spot by like a run coming in out of it or just cameras told you or yep cameras so his picture and then it was just sitting sometimes you just got to sit and get intel i told you that the other night on the phone yeah there's sometimes you just got to sit and you're only going to get x amount off of cameras a deer could walk behind your tree with your camera right yeah, especially so, if he sees it and he doesn't like him, and like we were talking about, whatever. he just he's still there, That's but he's right. not right there. Yeah, there's times where I'll just I'll I know I'm donating the night just to go and hopefully see. Yeah. Oh, holy crap! He's coming out of that corner of the swamp. Maybe get a glimpse of him. Whatever. You yep. know. So there's times, like I said, you just got to put your work in, get gain that intel. But what's nice about that is, if you can do that, that can be really rewarding for the rest of your life. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because you found that exact texture, prime real estate that they those bucks want. And when you just, again, if you can get a handful of those places, like those places will produce for you for the rest of your life yep. if you do it right. And nobody else goes in there and finds it and sets up on it and, you know, wrecks everything on you. But like I said, 
I really do believe that. I, I and from experience, that's not reading it. That's just me personally, like living it. Oh yeah, I could shoot that big eight pointer that I'm talking about that I just told you about. I know if I took him out of there. Next year at this time, we'll be sitting here right now talking about the very next biggest buck in that because he's going to take that right back over. Yep. It's just, you know, but th- that all goes away again whenever that time frame is. Like, you know, it could be the leaves coming off on all the trees in that swamp. You know, if it's the right texture and it's not thick enough, now it's too open because it's not September and the leaves are all on. When the leaves are on, that's really thick and it's a thicket. Yep. He's comfortable in there. That might change, you know? Like there's all kinds of scenarios that can happen, but yeah, do the work. Find some of those places right there and like I said, keep them under your lid and just repeat it year after year and it's just again, if you can dial into that particular spot, you'll see next buck, next big buck, take him out, and the next big one next year will take that right back over. Because it's got everything they want in there. And again, I don't know exactly what that is. I know some of it is what I'm talking about. I actually think some of it, to be honest with you, is probably not feeling pressure. These bucks down here, right? This particular one, it's tucked over on the very edge of the swamp, tucked in by a road, and everybody that's going to hunt that swamp, like within three minutes, you're past this spot. Heading out into the swamp. You yep. see what I mean? Everybody walks right by it. Yep. They're right there. They, the, that thing is laying 80 yards from you when you're walking through there. You don't even know it. Yep. I figured out that that's what they're doing, but to, that might prove my point that maybe it is pressure. So instead of being out in that swamp where everybody that's heading out that way jumps those deer off that little hummock out there in the middle somewhere, they figured out that way back over here in the corner, Everybody that goes in there is strolls right by him yep. and never bothers them. So maybe that's some of it, you know. Maybe it's pressure too. Yep. And I, I'm sure that is. I know it is, matter of fact. Some of it's going to be the amount of pressure. It could be the perfect island out in the middle of the swamp, but it, somebody walks out there three times in a season, I'll guarantee you that buck is going to switch it. He's yep. going to find some spot that, you know, people don't walk into, you know. And I've heard stories like that. I've heard, hun- uh, you know, not hundreds, but lots of stories of people like, this big tract of land and there's a parking lot that everybody parks and this trail takes everybody out into this bazillion acres and the the big buck that everybody knows about gets killed like 80 yards from the parking lot yep you know what i'm saying i know you've heard those stories yep you know and that's just again it backs up to these kind of deer down here they're they're very different than the ones up north and that matters to them especially a big buck a doe and smaller bucks you know they'll probably keep on using that island out in the middle here and there, and every 10 days, you probably blow them off there if you wanted to. But those big ones, they just, they don't like that. It's like you got, I look at it as like you got, almost got one shot with them, you know? Yeah. You got to locate them, know they're there, and you, you're almost, you better play it right. Cause if you don't, like I said, you tip them off, you're around, you snip a shooting lane in there or, you go in there and check your camera on a day like we're sitting here in today, and he walks yep. out three hours later and smells that. Yep. I'm guilty of yeah. it. Yeah, we all are. I am too. I I've done it a bazillion it. times. I just finally decided to make a change, and then it worked. So yep. to me, it's like, okay, I'm on to something here, and that's all it is. It's just I feel like, all right, I'm on to something, you know, because it worked. Maybe maybe it's not right. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody no, listening it's, to this. It's definitely, you definitely want to do that stuff in the rain or before rain or yeah. when, whatever. Yeah. Just any, just, that's what I always think in my head. I'm just anything I can do to. Rubber boots. and Yeah. Everything I can do to just not let him know I'm here. That's so all. let's, uh, let's transition to that and this probably will wrap it up because we're 
hour 20 in now, but. Um, that went you, fast. Yeah, it does. Holy smokes. It does. Hour 20? Hour 21, yeah. But, uh, so, and I think I know the answer to this question, but how um, detailed are you about scent and wind? I know it's hard with the wind around here because it blows every direction every other minute, but how much, I mean, I know you're not one of them guys sits under an ozonics and blah, blah, blah. But All right, so scent. Let's say let's ten being careless about your scent, ten uh one being careless, ten being extremely like ozonics. Right. I'm probably a five with scent, but an eight with wind. I'm okay. very mobile with when I hunt. When I when I'm tree stand hunting, like I've got a couple stands up right now, only because it's the places that I've established. Yep. Those spots that I just described to you. Those places I went in whatever, some rainy day in April and stuck a stand in there because I know the spot now. Minus that, I'm hunting out of a climber. Mm-hmm. And the wind, it's like, listen, a big buck is not going to come walking out of that swamp if he smells you. It's just not going to happen, period. So do I pay very close attention to the wind? Do I, yeah, do I, if, hey, I got to slide back 20 yards because I think he's coming out over here and I got to make sure my, yes, absolutely. So I'm a, probably a nine or a 10 when it comes to win. But I, in my opinion, whether this is right or wrong, if you play your wind right, you don't got to be a 10 on your scent. Because if the yep. wind's right, the wind's right. That's exactly You see right. what I'm saying? So to me, like, I just, am I careful about it? Like, do I go stand around people smoking cigarettes? No, I don't. But am I you know, washing my clothes every second hunt and all that stuff. Like, right. I listen to some people that are just so anal about it. And, like, I don't know. Spend I think, a grand on scent lock. Yeah, and in my opinion, like, a deer's nose is so good. Like, Yeah, what do you do about your breath? They're going to smell you. Sit on a cold morning, and, and you see the particles that come out of your breath. Like, again, like, I just, I, I'm not 1,000% convinced that all those precautions absolutely eliminate all of human scent it's to me like and maybe somebody could you know make that argument with me and convince me i guess but i just i don't i have a hard time believing that you can 100 percent eliminate your human odor i think the the idea behind it just because i know the keyboard warriors are going to come out here but the idea behind it is you smell further away than you are yeah and And that's that makes sense to me that's the that's the idea behind it i think but i i'm i'm with you on the you know, I wear rubber boots, and um, I keep my stuff in a tote with hemlock branches that I've yep. dried out, so there's no mildew, but that's about as far as I go. And if, if I have a sit that I get real sweaty, I'll, I get a couple pairs of pants. I'll wear a different pair. And, and, and you just touched on something right there. I mean, all that scent control, and sometimes you have these certain nights or mornings or whatever, just getting to your stand 200 yards out there, you've almost eliminated just from just a little bit of perspiration. Yeah. Right? So that's that's yeah, why everything never, you did is gone. Yeah, it's so hard. Like I mean, never, you don't want it to smell like Tide Pods, but exactly. And, and I'm not saying this to be, you know, it's controversial. I, and I'm I don't want to be the controversial. Bow, the bow I'm hunting just, world is like yeah. I'm just being honest with you. Yeah, I'm just you know what I mean. I'm just being honest. Like, and the proof the proof is in the the deer, man. You, you get the do, wind right. You're doing you're doing it right if you're killing these big bucks. Get so. the wind right, and yeah. And hunt them and be smart. And now, will you go as far as if you get up there and it changes? Will you 
I've done that, down and move sure. or just oh, yeah. pull out entirely. Oh, yeah. If I'm hot on one and I then know maybe he thought you were just passing by. You're yeah, not still yeah. there. Yeah. Well, trust me, if it ain't right, yeah, I ain't. Yeah. No, but that goes back to everything I just said as far as being as sneaky as you can be. Yeah. You know, if that does happen, then yeah, I'm yeah, I'll, I'll definitely move. But yeah, so I think the wind is really, really important because again, like I have zero confidence, and I'm gonna set up with the wind wrong, and he's just gonna come walking out of that swamp, and just no. it's just not gonna happen. You just you can't beat their noses. So, to me, that's the most important factor is getting the wind right, and that's easy enough when you are mobile, whether you're in a saddle or a climber or something like that. Just set up that particular night with the wind right, you know. And if the wind's wrong, like there, there's some more discipline that it's hard. I used to be like, oh, I'm hunting yeah. tomorrow night. If that wind's not right, I don't go. You know what I mean? I'm not going in there. I just, I, I'm, there was a day where I was like, no, I said I'm hunting yep. tonight, and I'd go, you know. I put my time in. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so I'm a little more careful with that stuff now. But, yes, wind's always right. I always, always hunt with the wind right, for sure. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. A little bit of a longer one, but yeah, get your notepads out, people, because... These are the type of people, this is why I'm doing this. I want to learn. I know people out there are going to learn. You know, I'm lucky enough I can call Timmy up any night of the week and be like, hey, you know, what would what would you have done? And, you know, there's no cut and dry answer, but there's uh, stuff to be learned. And, you know, it's I'm taking a turn this year, hopefully for the better. What's the worst that's going to happen? I don't get them. I wasn't getting them before. Mm. Like Zach Farinbaugh from the Hunting Public said, and it's my, one of my favorite quotes. He said, "You're either gonna get them or you ain't." Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to think any further than that. Just try to have fun and yeah, do your best, and hopefully, put some uh, some racks like I'm looking at on the ground. Yeah, and and figure out your way. Take a you know, and that that's the other thing too is like, take what I've said, and if you like it. Apply it and use it. If you don't, then don't. But create your own. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You can pick, you can filter through all the different information that's out there. You're going to have people on that are going to say the exact opposite of me. Yep. I love listening to all that stuff. There's some people I listen to and I'm like, I don't know about that. But then there's other people that like, hey, that makes sense to me. And it's just, you know what I'm saying? But they, I'm still me. And yep. you should still be you. You're going to create your own system in a way, right? Yep. And just filter through all the stuff and what you like and make sense use it try it if it doesn't then whatever no big deal you know and one of those times it'll it'll happen and you'll be like holy smokes and you'll have the entire season till next season to think about that and analyze what you did and you know what i'm saying there's a lot of times those days after you'll have a lot of thought into you know how that played out and what went right or what went wrong or whatever that is and and then you start to okay Yep, make you know, adjustments. Make adjustments for it, and you just kind of become you in a way. Don't be me. Be you. Yep. Yeah, there's no answer. There's there's guidelines, but there's no answer. That's exactly I used right. to look for the answer, and it, you, you can look all your life. You're never going to find it. No. Nope. Every situation's unique. Every deer's unique. You know, there's some, like I said, there's guidelines, but there's no answer. Yeah. So. But good luck, everybody. I hope you guys, everybody has a great season. Yep. Fill your freezers. Fill your tags. Do what you do. Yep. All right, Timmy. Thanks, man. Talk to you. Yep. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure and come back and join us every other Monday with a brand new episode. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure and leave a review. And you can find me on YouTube at Northeast Hunt and Film. Once again, thanks for listening.